Hello, and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Woo, how we doing, baby? Doing back with another free load up. We're in 2021 now. This this train is still chugging along like we told you all years ago. Oh, yeah. And we're starting off 2021 with some cult shit. Some cult shit, some Satanism, some heinous murders. What else do you want from us? Now, they are heinous murders. Uh, be warned about oh, that, These guys. are, yeah, right. some of the worst we've, uh, these are some of the most brutal killings we've ever done and done at the hands of some of the, a couple of the most brutal people, especially one character in this. Woo. Yes. Yes, very brutal. And a lot of confusion, a lot of blame being cast around uh, and a lot of other variables. And this is also right in the middle of the satanic panic. So you got a lot of, uh, a lot of corruption. Oh, I hate to use the word corruption, but a lot of uh, jumping to conclusions on the law enforcement side as well. Law enforcement and the media as well. Yes, yes. So as you guys can imagine, I'm sure as being true crime fans, you guys are very familiar with the satanic panic. Happened through the 80s and 90s in the U.S. Here, this uh, this case almost in a sense mm, kicked it off, or like was was right at the forefront of it. Well, this is right after the Manson murders, so that's really you had Manson yeah. murders, and a decade later you had this, right? So, yep. uh, yeah, it, it was just icing on the cake for that satanic panic, and it just it really did. I really do. I think you're right. The, the Manson murders played a big role in it, but these murders they really kicked it off, and they took place in an old school area of the U.S. in Massachusetts, yep. right? Where we had, what, Salem witch trials. We had Lizzie Borden hacking up her parents. Um, so there's a this lot area, of... This yeah. area. This part of this part of Massachusetts has a crazy story and history. <laughs> yeah. Not just history, but still to this day, it's known as an area where it's one of those uh, paranormal type of... Uh, you could do shows. Or there has been shows done about it. Yeah. Maybe um, we should cover, this, cover that uh, area on Sandu. Definitely. The Bridgewater Triangle. Bridgewater you, Triangle. Definitely. There's so much to talk about in regards to that. That's right. That's right. Yeah, maybe we'll cover that on Sandu and go a little more in-depth and in some of the uh, supernatural happenings that happened yeah. around Boston during that time, or Massachusetts, rather. Yeah. Yeah, so right. that we were talking a little bit about this before, because you, you weren't so sold on the fact that this is a cult, even though it is kind of marketed as a cult, this case, yeah. uh, the Fall River cult. It's a small group of people. It's not a large I, cult by any means. Um, but by definition, it, it is loosely a cult, I think. Yeah, I guess so, by definition. But it has to be understood from the beginning that this is a stereotypical Satanism cult. This is not a typical, this is not a, uh, like, Antoine LaVey uh, Satanic cult here. This is not to be confused with the peaceful Satanist religion. Uh, this is, like I said, I like to call it the stereotypical uh, Satanist religion. It's what most Christians think Satanism is. <laughs> I think. Yeah, and it's like what the way that uh, a lot of teenagers they they get into Satanism and they yeah yeah they, they don't really like dive deep and read books about it. They're just like Satan, let's kill yeah. for Satan. Yeah, exactly. They're just like Richard Ramirez is our God and our leader. Right. Yeah, it's it's all the wrong. Yeah, it's all the wrong stuff here. All the wrong right. stuff. But either way, this was a a perfect concoction, a perfect uh, scene for this to be exploited in this period in time i really do think so right i think uh damien eccles would have poo-pooed their their idea of what satanism was this cult yeah he actually studied it and understood yeah, satanism he... is more about science and, and it's more of a like a, a way of crapping on christianity and and typical stereotypical religions and whatnot i, I don't know right. i find it fascinating the way that satanism is um interpreted by different people it's like if you don't know or not not that i know i'm not in the know either but if it just seems like it's it's misunderstood, and I think it was intentional. 
intentionally like the the Bible the, the the Satanist Bible or the Bible of Satanism. It's by Anton LaVey, it seemed like he put it out there with that name on it to get attention and also as a way of like saying F you to other religions. Yeah, and I think also sense. also in a sense you're weeding out anyone who isn't open minded enough to accept the religion in the first place. You know what I mean? With throwing yeah. that bold of a title on there. Yeah, you're going to have only open-minded people who are willing to look at it in the first place there. So you kind of you, you you block out a big part of the population. Uh, me and Norm Supposedly were talking about the, that earlier. I'm like, that's some terrible marketing for your religion, but maybe he did it in earnest intent to spread these ideals, not to make money. Like, Yes, yeah, <laughs> supposedly that rare. book, <laughs> the, the Bible of Satanism, doesn't even claim that there is a Satan. It, it right. basically openly admits there is no Satan. It's it's a it's a, a way of living your life the way that you want without. Uh, it I don't know. It's it's about taking control of your life and and also uh, believing in scientific values. It's not it's not completely crazy. It's what we're saying crazy. is more of you out there are probably Satanists than you think. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Even though you're not practicing, you're uh, there's more undercover Satanists out there than we know of. Right. He's not such a bad guy. Come on, it's a bad rap. <laughs> yeah, the one the one Ooh, we're angel, gonna get one starred by the, some Christians. <laughs> the one angel that disagreed with God and we kick him out, right? Yeah. He tries to start his own thing, and we're like, "Oh, that's wrong." Oh, really? Right. Is democracy so wrong? Huh? Huh? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's start the show. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> All right, listen up, y'all. I got a few interesting quotes from Mr. Carl Drew who is a big player in this case. Spoiler alert. The quotes go as follows. Some may think we lived life on the edge. You have to keep in mind that it's the only thing we knew. It was the way we raised ourselves with little to no alternative left in us those days. People were more into the free-spirited effects of the times, not worrying about what was happening with kids left on their own in the street. Some of us came to believe in the gothic lifestyle of ancient times, where we lived by night, and in many ways this was to avoid authority. No evil, dark, macabre nonsense. We found interest in what was described as the gothic way, something real that could be savored and relished in, just enjoying the whole beauty and aspects of our world and survival. But Robin was a known Satanist, and proud of this fact. She took what she was doing way too far and on her own killed three young women. This 17-year-old young woman had practiced paganism before she was even 10 years old. She was telling the girls who were hanging around with her that there was a cult and the members of this cult would kill them. But if they paid her a fee, which she convinced them to get by prostituting themselves, she could protect them. The only one the fee was going to was her, because in her sick mind, she was the cult. It seems Satan had his paws dug so deep into her that nothing seemed too crazy for her to do to those who crossed her path. End quote. All right, so that's it. That's the quote. All right. All right, see you guys later. (laughs) Although, I really hate to waste this little funky beat I got going on here. Yeah, this is a groove. Let's try something. 
Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mama 40 wax And when she saw what she had done she gave her father 41 Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mama 40 wax Okay, okay, it worked out pretty good Let me try something, let's try something with Robin Okay, here we go Robin Murphy took a knife and then she gave her friends a slice And when she saw what she had done she knew she had to blame someone <laughs> She had to blame someone <laughs> All right, our case this week is the Fall River Cult Murders, which took place between 1979 and 1980. Um, uh, basically, a trio of horrific slayings are perpetrated on three women, Oof, um, all three being sex workers. They were mutilated, battered, um, arguably even stoned to death. Yes. Um, and, yeah, so, some things came to light. A group of people who were out pushing... Um, satanic ritualis, rituals and uh, trying to get power from Satan by sacrificing people right. and uh, torturing them. Yeah, ironically, they always sacrifice people that wrong them in life, though. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that, That's true, that can't right? help but be pointed out. I mean, come on. Why is it always people you dislike or people that went against you that get sacrificed? If you really wanted to sacrifice, aren't you supposed to sacrifice pure and, and good people? Why are you sacrificing people that are out here doing people wrong and whatnot? Yeah, see, it's all in how you interpret things, man. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe the, maybe the devil doesn't care. He just wants a soul. Yeah. <laughs> and my my biggest argument against this actually being a cult is that I feel like for a cult to be a cult, the followers have to follow willingly. They they yes. they are drawn in by a charismatic leader, and they can't help themselves. They 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 just have this strong belief in the leader and and the values of this belief system. Whereas this one, I feel like the followers of this quote unquote cult were following out of fear. Because fear and safety. The, the two people that were leading this quote unquote cult were so damn scary and dangerous and violent that if you didn't follow, you would end up being one of these sacrifices. Right, right. And some did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some did. One, one in particular yeah. is, uh, was so sad, that story in here. Yeah. If a person who was a part of this didn't want to be anymore, tried to get away, and uh, it was yeah. too late. So let's get started. In the early uh, in the early 1970s in the United States, the post World War II economic boom began to wane due to increased international competition, the expense of the Vietnam War, and the decline of manufacturing jobs. And so we saw a decline in the economy in the in the late 70s in the United States. Maybe all, we never really talked about that effect on you know all the, the successful serial killers throughout the 70s could have also played a role in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because a lot more people were turning to lower income parts of town and maybe a lot more sex work I was about being, to say uh, a lot more ways out of desperation. people were getting income in different ways you know ways they had to think outside the box yep by the late 1970s the US was hit by a recession unemployment and rising crime rates and the once proper prosperous textile city of Fall River Massachusetts was a city that was hit particularly hard factories closed um, buildings were abandoned and the downtown area had become somewhat of a wasteland which provided fertile ground for a thriving trade in sex and drug, uh, drugs and sex work. So kind of what we were talking about, yeah. people taking chances they wouldn't have normally taken or being forced into you know, a career path that they didn't necessarily want, That's right. but because the economy was um, doing terribly, they didn't have any other options. Right. Amidst this urban decay between October of 79 and February of 1980, a series of brutal murders took place and helped kickstart the satanic panic, which would go on to dominate the 80s and early 90s. This area of Massachusetts already had quite a storied past. 
Fall River, as you briefly mentioned earlier, was where Lizzie Borden had hacked her parents to death with a hatchet back in 1892, allegedly. That. She never got convicted. That's so right. Somebody, to say allegedly. somebody hatched Although them. Although she's... <laughs> yeah, somebody hatched them, uh, and uh, it seems to be Lizzie. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it just does. There's <laughs> uh, even a song about right, it. Right. Or a poem, I guess. Um, and it's also... Fall River is also just south of a storied area of Massachusetts called the Bridgewater Triangle. And this is what we talked about. You should definitely cover on Strange and Unexplained. Yeah, I think we will. Podcast. We will. Yeah. The Bridgewater Triangle is an area of about 200 square miles within southeastern Massachusetts, claimed to be a site of alleged paranormal phenomena ranging from UFOs to poltergeists, orbs, balls of fire, and other spector- uh, spectral phenomenon. Various Bigfoot-like sightings, giant snakes, and thunderbirds. Thunderbirds? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I know. I'm about to click on these. What's, yeah, let's what's see. Thunder, Thunderbird mythology? Thunderbird is a legendary creature in certain North American indigenous people's history and culture. It is considered a supernatural being of power and strength. It is especially important and frequently depicted in the art, songs, and oral histories of many Pacific Northwest Coast cultures. But it is also found in various forms among some peoples of the American Southwest, East Coast of the United States, Great Lakes, and Great Plains. So, everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just says the Thunderbird is a bird that controls the upper world while the underworld is controlled by the underwater panther or a great horned serpent. They also saw giant snakes, right? Giant snakes. Oh, maybe the great horned serpent and the Thunderbird are making appearances in Massachusetts. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the Thunderbird, he actually seems like kind of a, a righteous type uh, mythological creature. Powerful creature and a powerful car back in the 90s to Ford Thunderbird. My mom had one. It had a V8 in it. Yeah. Yeah, they were short-lived, though. Then they then they tried yeah. to do those throwbacks. It's kind ones. of a badass car, though, dude. Like, it was uh, it was comfort. Like, I remember it being very, very cozy and comfortable, but also right. powerful. Like I said, it had a V8 in this little car. Oh, no, so, yeah. My yeah, parents was... had a 96 Thunderbird. I remember it very well. It was, uh, it was light blue, and I remember it was the first uh, two-door car they had. With me and my sister, yeah, and we had ours, ours was we had to climb. Two. I mean, I think they all are, and we had to climb in uh, behind the seats, which was super annoying because you felt trapped back there. I hated I hated two door cars when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do remember my parents loving that uh, that '96 Thunderbird. Thunderbirds used to be a cool thing, man. They had like the different logo. You know, they didn't have the Ford logo on. They had like the bird wings, you know, spread out yeah. on the front grill and stuff. They're ugly as shit. I miss now. '90s cars, dude. <laughs> I don't know. They were like they were more fun. Like, <laughs> people, they always. You always had like attachments that you know yeah. each person would would put all these stupid little switches and <laughs> lights and shit inside. Some of them had phones inside of them. Yeah, yeah. but also like yeah, the, there was the whole fun of there being like it's a two seater, so you had to squeeze back there, and then there's this giant bench seat. Yeah. Where like I even I even had the stories of like being in the very back of the the station wagon, rolling around with my cousins, looking you know, out the going back through the city. Yeah, looking out the back. Yep. yep. Oh, I loved riding in those reverse seats. I loved, yeah. I loved riding like that. You're just staring at the people behind you in the stoplight, waving at them, making faces at them and shit. Yeah. yeah. Good times. Hot boxed with cigarette smoke from your, from your parents. There you go. <laughs> or your aunts. <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah, good times in the 90s. So actually, um, I, I've had nostalgia this past week because my wife's truck's in the, in the, in the shop getting repaired, and my brother-in-law is all about vehicles. Like he has a, He's had like a million vehicles since I've known him. And 
and a lot of them are classic rods and whatnot. He has this 90s Ford Bronco that he let us borrow while my wife's truck is in the shop. So we've been driving around this 90s Bronco. Nice. It's just so nostalgic, dude. Aren't they badass? I want to just like get rid of my phone and live the simple life I again. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, those Broncos are badass. They come out with a new one this year, though. That's, oh, dude, oh. I want one of those. The new Bronco looks Who sick. It doesn't? Those are insane. All right, All right we got to get back to All right, things. back to nostalgia, by the way. The satanic panic. Yeah. Let's get back to Let's that. Let's do it. So in the Bridgewater Triangle area, there's also been several satanic-inspired killings over the years. Um, Satanism seems to be, as we mentioned, often misunderstood, and it's occasionally used by those who don't understand it to do heinous acts under the name of, you know, for the for Satan. Right, to right. Satan. It, Satan catches a lot of blame, right? The old devil made me do it adage. <laughs> Poor bastard. He catches a lot of blame. Sheesh. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is one of those stories. Yes, it um, is. And it begins on October 13th, 1979, when the body of a young woman was found. Doreen Levesky, a 17-year-old runaway from New Bedford, was discovered by joggers under the bleachers uh, behind the Demon Vocational High School in in, uh, Fall River, Massachusetts. Man, do you think you pronounced that high school right? Demon? I know it's spelled D-I-M-A-N, but uh, it very well could be Demon High School. Diamond? I mean, either way, it doesn't sound good. But Demon High School Demon, fits this case Demon way better. Demon High School, bro. That's where she was found. <laughs> Under the bleachers. Oh, it's, man. It's like you can picture this being the start of a movie. Yeah. Of a horror movie I mean, movie look, almost. you even have the joggers. This is the perfect true crime case. Joggers finding a mutilated young girl right. under the bleachers of a high school. That is uh, the start of wow. uh, yeah. most horror movies. I was about to say, really. not very original, but it really sets the scene. <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> this, 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 these killings apparently inspired some filmmakers. Yeah, apparently. Um, so this is where it gets dark and uh, pretty bad. Doreen was face down and her wrists had been bound with fishing line. There were signs of sexual torture. She had been stabbed in the head several times and suffered many skull fractures. Her head was pretty much crushed, mm. like unrecognizable. Police discovered that the young girl had been working in the sex trade and initially suspected one of her clients had committed the murder. However, the county medical examiner determined that the killings were likely committed by multiple people and the forensics evidence also suggested a ritual element to the crime and, as we mentioned earlier, a possible death by stoning, which would explain all of the skull fractures. Which, which makes sense because that's a very, very popular uh, form of death in the Bible, especially if someone was seen to go against the crowd, uh, yeah. commit horrible atrocities, or, or, you know, accused of being a witch or any type of Satanist. You know, they would be stoned. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of ironic that they would that they would pick this out. I mean, it is such a barbaric thing, you know. When you think, oh, how how oh, are we going to kill this person? Let's just crush them with rocks. Like, oh my god, right. like it just it's a horrible thing. But all you can hope is that you, you know if you're the victim that you you took one rock to the head early on and were unconscious exactly. for the rest. Because... That's that's the most you can hope. But I mean. But you know that most of these people that did these stonings and stuff, I mean, I don't, I'm not oh, yeah, saying they that they stoned them here, but they know. They know what's up. They're, they're beating the shit out of the body first. These people yeah. know. They, they want to they punish these people. That's why I think the stoning yeah. was, was a real thing. If these, if these people had anything based um, on the Bible, religion, um, because, you know, you can't, have, you can't have the Bible and God without Satan. So right. you know, it's, it's not a stretch that they really did, that this girl really was stoned by multiple people. And the, and the injuries are very consistent with that. 
Yep. And that wouldn't be the first time either. Right. I mean, it wouldn't be, I mean, it wouldn't be the last time right. that uh, Avadi was found and um, believed to be stoned to death in this case. Exactly. So the police and the public were understandably concerned that this wouldn't be the last victim that they had, uh, that these perpetrators would, uh, would harm if they didn't find them soon. However, a month would pass. They didn't have anything to go on. I mean, they find, they find this girl battered and mutilated. There's no physical evidence or nothing left behind that would lead them to a perpetrator. Um, and so a month would pass before the police finally get a solid lead. Um, a month after the discovery of Doreen Levesky's battered body, a 44 year old new Bedford man named Andy Maltias walked into the fall river police station. This is a sketchy guy. Um, Andy was there to file a missing persons report for his girlfriend, a 22-year-old sex worker named Barbara Raposa, mm-hmm. who, like Doreen Levesky, the victim under the bleachers, worked the Bedford Street area as a sex worker. So these two women were in the same line of work, these two young girls, right. working the same street. Um, and this guy, Andy, is now concerned that his girlfriend may meet the same, fa- uh, may meet the same fate right. as Doreen. Um, Andy told police that he feared for Barbara's safety. He mentioned a satanic cult and claimed to have information relating to the Levesky murder. Oh. Um, and police at this point are kind of desperate. They're, they're like, well, we have nothing right now as far as finding Doreen. And there's obviously going to be public pressure. There was this young girl who was mutilated underneath the bleachers. Jesus. This community right. wants answers. They're scared. And this guy just comes wandering in solving two murders yes. for you. Or information yeah. about two murders. It's like, this just seems strange. Yeah, so even though it seems far-fetched, they want to talk to this guy and find out what he knows. With no other leads in the case, police arranged for a formal interview to see exactly what Andy knew. Andy Maltias, by the way, was a known scumbag and creep. He was a convicted pedophile, a sexual sadist, and a violent rapist. Now, however, according to him, he was a changed man. He had found Jesus and had a pocket Bible with him as proof. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, he's got the pocket Bible. That's and everything. the trump card right there. Right? I got my, I got my, got my little bi- <laughs> pocket Bible that I got at the ninety-nine cent store to show you. I got you. my New Testament right here. I'm a new man. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Yep, yep. Um, he said, "Quote: Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior." Yep. He told police as he held up the small Bible. Once I worshipped Satan, but now I worship Jesus. There you have it. Which I mean, is which is a classic conversation, I suppose. Right. You know? I mean, that's just cut and dry right there. I mean, that's how yeah. you should introduce yourself to everyone if, if you once worship <laughs> Satan. I mean, just clear the air, right? Just let them know. I'd have to, I'd have some questions for you. I mean, there's no way that I just like uh, am not curious. <laughs> We're gonna talk some more. It's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. We definitely we definitely need to talk some more. I actually have some yeah. cousins. They're actually second cousins or a second cousin of mine and his wife who who made that complete conversion. Like as a kid, I wasn't allowed to go to their house because they were deep in the quote unquote Satan, fucking Satanism and the religion uh, around Satan. And it was probably just like Wiccan or pagan, honestly, but my parents probably freaked out about it. But now they're like, yeah. now they're like diehard Christians. It's like they had a, they had a child. I had a son like 13 years ago and now they're like diehard Christians. They even named their son Christian. It's, it was so weird. It was like after they had a kid, they're like, whoa, 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 we got to. We got to give our kid to God. Like we can still be a Satan, but we got to give our kid to God, right? I don't right. know. I don't know. It was just weird to see. I bet they get. I bet they get more credit in in the church and whatnot. Oh man! It's like, oh man, Daryl. He swam with. He swam in the devil's waters, and now look. Now at look him. at him. <laughs> you know? He's over here on the worship team. Goddamn. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's seen the darkness, but now he's seen the light. <laughs> he ain't the greatest organ player, and he's usually out of time. But thank God. <laughs> I mean, he's here. You know. <laughs> 
Dude, no. I, I feel like if you did uh, if you did worship Satan at one point, you're a badass organ player. I feel like that's a requirement <laughs> in Satan. You got to know how to play those dark tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that's for sure. But yeah, you're right though. They are revered in church, just like uh, you know oh, anybody sure. that's a drug addict, somebody that went to jail. I was going to say anybody that's around. been through been through darkness and made it out. Like people give them more respect. People who have you know had been in a dark period or hit rock bottom and came out of yeah. it. What and are doing well? What's even more? Those are always the stories and athlete, for athletes and whatnot. Right. You know, like. But what's uh, Darren Wall- Waller is a good example on the Raiders, the local team here, the the tight end for the Raiders. He was a severe drug addict and whatnot, and had got clean, and now he's one of the best tight ends in football. And people like they talk about him nonstop, yeah. And what a story he has, and all this stuff. And then there's some other players that you know they're just as good of players, but they don't get talked about like that, right? Well, see, it's the forgiveness that these guys get in church is unparalleled, right? And that doesn't that doesn't surprise me the forgiveness that other people give them. What surprises me is the trust. The trust that these people immediately have just because someone said the sentence, Jesus Christ is now my personal Lord and Savior, or I worship Jesus now. Just because they say those things, you it's amazing the trust that people will put in them. Like yeah. people truly believe that that conversion is final. And there's it's immediate. it's immediate. There's no going back. God is in your heart. You're a good person now. Boom. And it's just not the reality, people. It's just not the reality. I've seen so many. Well, that's what the that's what the religion has always begged you for, right? Repent for your sins, and then you can be forgiven. It's all basically all you got to do is say the words. Say the words. Yeah, but I mean, it's just. But people don't have to trust these people who have a track record of keep going back. They keep going back. They keep going back, and then they keep coming back and asking for forgiveness. And every time they come yep. back to church and and show up for three or four Sundays in a row, all of a sudden they're a saint again. And yeah, I, it's like if your kid kept stealing a cookie from the cookie jar every day, and every single time he said sorry afterwards, would you? Yeah. You know, at a certain point, that sorry doesn't mean shit anymore. That's right. Your kid's a cookie thief. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it is right now. Stealing them devil cookies. That's right. <laughs> it's a gateway. It's a gateway food. I feel like a cookie jar is just a bad idea in general. Like, yeah. Who- it's just begging for you to eat more cookies. That's all it is. It's like you, you feel like you have to keep it full. You don't want an empty cookie jar sitting there. So yeah. That's really the devil at work right there. Cookie jars are the devil. No doubt. And donuts. Damn donuts. Oh, dude, donuts. Donuts are my, they're my favorite thing in the world, but I won't touch them. They're so bad they, for you. That's like terrible. probably one of the worst. <laughs> that's one of the worst things you could possibly I eat, like, eat as a donut. I eat like two donuts a year. And I'm like, nope, yeah, that's good. Yeah, me too. God, they're great, though. They are great. I, eat them. I enjoy the shit out of those two donuts a year. Yeah. Oh. Here's a free plug for Donut Place in Vegas, Pink Box Donuts. Oh. I'm sure if you're local to Vegas, you know about Pink Box. Everybody Bro. does. But man, those are some bomb-ass donuts. If you ever come to Vegas as a tourist, go to Pink Box Donuts. The best donuts. donuts I've ever had from Pink Box, yeah. no doubt. Fantastic. The Fat Elvis. <laughs> it's got peanut butter in it. I didn't it. even get through Same. half of them, so don't even tell me all the right. things I'm missing right now. Yeah, man, we're talking all kinds of devilish stuff. <laughs> like sugar. All right, so, yeah. yeah. So back to Andy Maltias, right. who walked into the uh, Fall River Police Station reporting his girlfriend, a sex worker, missing. He was worried about her well-being, said that he was aware and even kind of alluding to the fact that he was a part of a satanic cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he was a member of it, um, and talking about now he was different though. He was changed. However, if you read between the lines here, his girlfriend just went missing. He was a part of this cult when she went missing. Yeah. And now he's 
but he's he's found Jesus, which which yeah. would lead you to believe he just found Jesus like either earlier that day or the day before. Yeah, yeah. Having just been a part of a satanic. Yeah, cult. yeah. It don't take long. He's easy to find. Yeah. He's everywhere. Like you said, once you say it, it shall be so. That's it. He, he's he's proclaimed. He he now follows no Jesus. So speak it and claim all it. of that past stuff about satanic cults and like sacrificing animals and stuff in the woods with his friends. That's all done. That's all, all gone. gone. Forgotten. No need for that in my life anymore. Yeah. yeah. According to his statements, Andy and his girlfriend Barbara were practicing Satanists at the time of her disappearance. Yesterday. They were all members of a local cult. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It wasn't that cl- wasn't that close. Yeah. <clears throat> they were all members of a local cult, including Doreen Levesky, prior to her murder. So he's claiming that the seventeen year old girl that was found mutilated under the bleachers mm-hmm. at uh what was it, Demon Demon High School? Yeah, Demon High School. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Um, he's claiming that even she was a part of this cult and they decided to sacrifice her. Andy claimed to have no direct knowledge of that crime, of course, uh-huh. conveniently, but told police that he believed that the cult was responsible for her murder. To police, the story seemed far-fetched, but Maltius was insistent. And also, this was, this was, as we mentioned, the beginning of the satanic panic. So police, these police are also Catholic men. Right. And they were a little bit more inclined to believe in this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, especially up in the Northeast, Which man. Which is part of the problem. The Northeast, that is a big... I'd say Catholicism is probably the biggest religion up there, for sure, still, today. Was, wasn't it... Was it Massachusetts that the the, the witch trials went yes, down? Yes, Salem. Well, there you go. Yep. Yeah, that's where that's where a lot of it started, man. Which makes sense. Yep. It's, it's our biggest hub, right? That's where the country started, so it makes sense. Not knowing much about Massachusetts... It just seems like, a, I don't know, everything I've seen, it's like all these pictures are always dark. Like, you see, like, dark wooded pictures, and you're just like, Ugh. Yeah, but you should, well, looks I know, it, it really does. It really does always look creepy and overcast. <laughs> it's like, what is it, England up there? Wait, what the hell's going yeah, on? Right. But uh, yeah. actually, Boston is, do, is like, a freaking leader as far as, like, um, revamping neighborhoods and creating small businesses and... Um, as far as recycling, reducing waste overall, like really? the city of Boston. Yes, they are like leading the way. You should check it out, man. You should definitely look wow. into Boston. It it wouldn't it would be a really cool place to live if it wasn't so damn cold. Uh, right. but yeah, they are seriously leading the way. Plus we would have a reason to use our Boston accents all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, yeah. All the time. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be. That would be Dude, all the time. Where was I? I was at a oh, I was I went golfing a few weeks back. And we're uh, we're waiting for our tea time, and I'm putting around like on a little practice thing. And I was hanging out with my buddies, and I was doing my stupid Boston accent. Yeah. I don't know why, but I was just doing it. And then this guy was like, "This guy was legit from Boston." He was like, "Where, where are you from?" And I was like, oh, "I'm from here." Oh. From Vegas. <laughs> He's like he just like walked away. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "What an asshole!" I felt like such an ass. <laughs> That's funny, dude. That's it funny. Was, it was it was awkward. You should just study up like one small town near Boston and just tell people that's yeah. where you're from when you're doing that. Now. Yeah. So you just so you know. I had a moment of like de- I had a decision to make. I'm like, okay, do I keep pushing this and then I, I mean, he's going to question right. me like what part of Boston <laughs> yes. I'm from and shit, or do I just cop up to it right now? Right, right, right. No, I think you made because he probably knew my accent was bullshit yeah. when he heard it. You know? <laughs> where are you from? <laughs> that's hilarious. Don't worry about yeah, so. it, dude. Yeah, don't worry about it, guy. <laughs> you don't know my hood. You don't right. know. It's a wicked cool place, dude. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back to Andy Maltias. His story, he's telling police 
they're they're a little on the fence about it. So he decides he's going to convince them that you know he's legit. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He offers to arrange a meeting with two of the cult members, um, and he was sure he had more. They had more direct information leading to you know what happened right. with these girls. One that's missing and one that was murdered. Mm-hmm. A few days later, police were introduced to Karen Marsden and Robin Murphy. Karen Marsden was a 20-year-old single mother. Like many of her peers who worked uh, Fall River's red light district, she was a runaway, a single mom, and a drug addict. Police accounts described her as nervous and emotional. The other woman, Robin Murphy, however, was the exact opposite. She was cold, deliberate, and calculated, and downright scary. This is one of the two people we mentioned at the beginning that are just terrifying. And so young. This, This woman, Robin Murphy, is fucking scary. So young. Only 17 years old. Yeah. Mm. But you get you do kind of get chills. So did you see the other email I sent you with the pic? I have like yes. each character in this a picture and uh, I'm looking at a picture of Robin Murphy and if I had to cast like a woman to be a scary satanist in a movie, yeah. even though she's young and she's she's not ugly, she but she's just got a scary face and like these she's got like the dark rings around her eyes mm-hmm. and this intense look in every picture you see her in. You know why? She would be that one. And then ironically, in the picture I'm looking at, she's wearing a cross. Yep. You know why? Because she's she's dedicating all of that teenage passion and rage into Satanism. And that's why she's so damn good at it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I've said it before, like kids have an have a ability to focus on things and become good at things that they are interested in way faster because they only focus on that thing. Like we as adults, we have to compartmentalize our brain to learn a skill. It's like, okay, okay, right now I'm going to I'm going to learn yeah, piano. We got all these responsibilities we have to do whereas they have yes, endless time. They have endless time and they have no worries and when they're focused on one thing, that is all they're focused How on. How else do you think they get so good at Fortnite? Thank you. It's not even worth Dude, it to go on there and try and play against these kids. Listen, like 2 weeks ago, I taught my son how to play chess. He's 11 years old. He beat me twice yesterday. <laughs> like seriously, no doubt. Like I was really trying to beat him. I'm really trying to beat him. I don't take it easy on him no more, because the kids, the kids beat me twice yesterday. He, they're just their brains. When they can get into that mode, they're not thinking about anything else. They're using all of their brain power on just that. Yeah. And it's, I think it's the same thing with a 17 year old, especially a 17 year old girl who's more mature. And kids mature yeah, and has and has a you know a dark history. She's, yes, she's she's been experienced used and being molested for used. years, and she's. Working as a sex worker already. That's right. At seventeen. That's right. And so, yeah. And kids grew up faster back in the seventies and eighties too. I mean, oh, yeah. ask your parents, man. It's like you were exposed to a lot more shit you shouldn't have been. Yeah. We, well, we kids were we, out uh, and about. protect kids and we insulate them a lot more now as we should. Well, I think kids are back then. kids are still getting exposed to stuff, but they're not experiencing things like they did in the sixties yeah. and seventies. They're just seeing it on YouTube and TikTok mm-hmm. and shit now. Um, yeah. They're not. The kids nowadays aren't naive. By any sense, they're right. they're definitely getting fed all that shit, but they're not experiencing it uh, right. like Robin Big Murphy difference. was. Right. <clears throat> yep. So Robin was both a sex worker and an aspiring pimp. She was a tough street kid who was described as possessing a high degree of intelligence and a domineering personality. The girls told police that they were roommates as well as lovers. Their connection to Andy Maltias, however, the guy that had walked into the police station and introduced the police to these two, uh, their relationship with him was a bit mysterious. They knew him from around uh, the area, I guess. And I think Karen knew him a lot less than Robin did. Robin yeah. had been in this area for a lot longer, grown up there. She knew damn well about Andy Maltias and what a scumbag he was. She was supposedly molested by him 
since the age of 11. Wow. That being said, Robin Murphy was also a bit of a storyteller and a liar mm-hmm. and a horrific person in her own right. She, and yeah, she's a I would even argue a lot worse than Andy Maltias once you find out more of, uh, about Robin Murphy. She's one of the scariest people we've ever covered on this, really. Yeah, but if she's telling the truth, then damn, Maltias turned her, helped turn her into this. At the same time, no doubt. he's definitely no responsible. Doubt. Some some responsible for this if if half of what she says is true. Well, he's a, he's a rapist and a known pedophile, and he's been convicted That's of these right. things. So I, I'm not gonna, a stretch. If there's anything I'm going to put clout into when it comes to Robin Murphy's story, I'll, I'll give her I'll give her yes. that one. Yes, I will as well. That, that makes sense. Um, so throughout the interview, Robin Murphy pretty much kept her mouth shut, studying the officers, giving them that. Cold, dark stare. I'm guessing, yeah. <laughs> and occasionally scowling, scowling at Karen, who wouldn't shut her mouth. Right. Karen Marsden did some talking. She was scared, however, not of the police, um, but of the people that she had gotten involved yeah. with, including the person she was sitting. I next was about to, to say Murphy. she better be afraid of the person sitting next to her. <laughs> I don't know why she was talking. God, knowing, shut the hell up, how Karen. Scary Robin is. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Karen. Shut up, Karen. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, Karen broke down into tears and told police, quote, Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesky. Mm. And Carl Drew, we haven't brought into the fold yet. In this, so many names in this guy. Hang out. on. Hang on, guys. Just try to keep up with the names. There is a lot of names in yes. this. I would try yeah. to do our best. So police knew that Carl Drew, uh, they knew of him quite well. He was a 26-year-old pimp with a violent reputation who ran his business out of the Bedford Street District. So... Right away, he's connected to these women mm-hmm. who are working that same district. He also had a felony record with past convictions for assault, weapons possession, and armed robbery. He was originally from New Hampshire and had been raised on a small farm. And his childhood was also ripe with uh, violence and um, abuse. Mm-hmm. His childhood was allegedly filled with hard labor and abuse at the hands of his cruel alcoholic father. He tells the story of being a young boy and his father tying a rope around his ankles, lowering him down into an old well to remove a cluster of dead rats. Well, you want to drink that it's rat water? Cl- I mean, what? What? How, yeah, how else what? are you supposed to get him out? What is, is he gonna? <laughs> is he gonna lower his dad down in there? This dude, kid needs to quit bitching. You want some clean water, or you want some rat rat water, huh? I think. Yeah. I mean, how how do you get him out? How do you get him out? I don't know. You got to lower somebody down. Yeah, oh man! <laughs> just just about just, okay. I, I get where you're coming from, Mike. I know you're joking. I hope you're joking. <laughs> I'm partially like, joking. I'm just trying to picture myself being lowered down into an old fucking well, and that's just, oh, it's no. traumatizing. It's absolutely traumatizing. Oh my god, it's horrible. But at the same time, those rats got to get out of there. You know, if they're dead rats, you can't have dead rats in your drinking water. You're all going to be Can dead. You not drop long. like a bucket down there and like try and scoop them out. No buckets got hands to grab rats. I don't think so. Dude, I'll drop my cat down there with a tie to a rope. Down. He'll fucking snatch them rats right out gladly. <laughs> Your cat would be climbing the walls trying to get the hell out of yeah. there. Those rats are probably huge by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kidding. Man. I'm kidding, guys. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, but man. I and it's unclear whether he did this as a means of like just being cruel to the kid, or if he literally was just like a, a tactile way to like, you know, this, we need these rats out of there. Get down there, yeah. boy. Yeah. I mean, we know back in the day. Kids were used as labor. That's that's largely why people had kids. They either had them by accident and they used them as labor, or they had them intentionally to use them as labor. Right, right. Yep. That's no doubt. So Carl Drew would end up running away from home at the young age of 14 and found his place among Fall River's criminal underground, keeping company with bikers, drug addicts, and sex workers. 
and he would soon become a pimp to those said sex workers. Hmm. He had a direct connection to the victim, Doreen Levesky, as well. He was her pimp. So the, the young girl that was killed and found under the bleachers, yeah. this was her pimp. So definitely yeah. got to to look look long and hard at this guy. Um, however, there was nothing physical to link him to the, mur- the murder beyond the claim of a young drug addict and sex worker. So we know how that goes, especially in the 70s when you when you worked in that trade, the police not only didn't look very hard for you if you were the one that was killed, but also they didn't take your word as much. Here's here's what I'm thinking, though. I, I feel like that's a mistake on the police's part. I feel like if, if one of these workers, these sex workers or drug addicts, comes in to confess to something, it, why would they do that? They don't want to be under the, under the spotlight of the police either. They don't want to be in the presence of the police either. But I feel like when something is that devastating or something that terrible that someone who is a sex worker or a drug addict has nowhere else to go but to the police, I just don't feel like they're lying. Exactly. It just it just doesn't make I sense agree. to me. They got they have they have skin in the game. Yes. You know, they can they can be arrested for what they're doing and whatnot. Right. They don't want to be scared in there. enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and I'm and I, I think the place they, they were taking this seriously. They Yeah. They pressed. Uh, they would press Karen for more details and even offer witness protection for her cooperation. However, she gave uh, no further information initially. Um, only a final statement promising that if she were to turn up dead, it would be Carl Drew who was responsible. Now she would continue um, meeting with the police and and helping them as much as she could, while also realizing she was putting herself on the line over the coming days and weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, detectives would remain in contact with Karen in the weeks that followed, hoping to learn more about this, quote, Fall River cult, as the group of Bedford Street criminals became known. In further talks with detectives, fearing for her life, she referred to Carl Drew as the devil and told police of the consequences she expected for her betrayal if she was found to be talking to the police as she was. He, by the way, Carl Drew, referred to himself as the son of Satan. Yeah, scare tactic. Right. That's what I think it is. He's cool moniker though. Yeah, Son of yeah, Satan. I guess so. SOS. Yeah, not bad, not bad, not bad. Not um, as cool as Son of Sam. She claimed that Carl. Yeah, <laughs> better than Son of Sam for sure. I still want to name my dog Javi. Javi, <laughs> get in here. Um, so she, w- Karen, would claim that Carl organized his prostitution ring as a satanic cult that he ruled with an iron fist. "Quote: Satan will take his toll." He would threaten the girls. Accompanied by Carol Fletcher, another young sex worker with ties to the cult, Karen would actually take the police to the nearby Freetown State Forest, where some of their rituals had taken place, allegedly. It was here that the girls claimed that the cult had held their nocturnal gatherings. As they passed by an algae-covered pool of water, Karen said this is where he told, uh, she was told that Carl Drew would dump her body after, quote, injecting battery acid into her veins and offering her soul to Satan if she talked to the police. Mm. Yeah, I just think he's Yikes. he's he's trying to promote this whole satanic background and reasoning for everything he does as just a, a an extra means, I think, to keep these girls in line. Because yeah. it's mainly just him. And if these girls wanted to retaliate, they definitely could. They could team up and mm-hmm. take him. I think this is just a, a means of of trying to push this off on something that is bigger than himself. So he seems yeah. like a bigger force, something that's connected to something darker, so they'll be much more afraid of him. As uh, well, that's that's what leaders do, right? Cult leaders and people in yeah, power. Yeah, but some cult leaders, some cult leaders believe it. I don't think he did. I think he was full of shit, and he knew he was full of shit. It was just an easy right. way to control people who were vulnerable and scared yeah. and ignorant. 
He was basically a pimp that was, yes. yeah, he was using these, he wanted them for money and, and to control them. And he was using Satanism as a means to, you know, scare them into doing what he wanted. Precisely. Um, as police got Karen Marsden talking more, they came to find out that Carl Drew was not the, da- not the only dangerous individual in her life. Robin Murphy, the girl who had originally gone into the police station with Karen, mm-hmm. it seemed, was every bit as scary, if not more. And to me, she is more scary. Yes. Robin Murphy she, terrifies me. Long before becoming involved with Carl Drew, Robin Murphy had allegedly been already been dabbling in the occult. She was known to be mentally unstable and violent. She would soon be determined to be Carl's partner in crime and co-leader of the Fall River cult. Um, as the detectives were learning more about this twisted cast of characters associated as the Fall River cult, another body was discovered. So we get our second victim found. found. As creepers, you guys already know, everyone wants to keep their home and family safe. Whether it's from a break-in, a fire, a flood, medical emergency, regardless, Simply Safe Home Security delivers award-winning 24/7 protection. With Simply Safe, you don't just get an arsenal of cameras and sensors, you get the best professional monitors in the business. They've got your back day and night, ready to send police, fire, or EMTs when you need them most straight to your door. And the setup with Simply Safe is so easy. Within about 30 minutes, I had all the sensors on my doors, the HD camera set up, which looks amazing, by the way, and the home control tower set up as well. It was, everything was ready to go and controlled from my phone. And once you've done that, you are ready to go. The Simply Safe professionals take over, monitoring your home 24 7, ready to send help the very moment there's an alarm. Plus, with Simply Safe, there's no long term contract. No hidden fees or installation cost. Right now, True Crime Guys listeners can get a free home security camera when you purchase a Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com/creeper. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com/creeper for your home security camera today. That's simplysafe.com/creeper. On January 26, 1980, the frozen and bloodied corpse of Barbara Raposa was found in the woods behind the abandoned printing factory, behind an abandoned printing factory. And that was that was the girlfriend that, uh, what's his name, had had come in and yep. Yep. reported missing. Maltias. Um, Andy someone Maltias. involved in the cult. Andy Maltias. That's his girlfriend that he came in and reported missing. Yep. And he was concerned that she would meet the same fate. Yeah. And as Doreen, and she did. Y'all remember Andy Maltias? He's the he's the newly uh, created Christian, right? Yeah. He's the one with the pocket Bible. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's the one who opened the door for the police and and let them into this whole cult world. Yes. He's the one who introduced them to this whole thing. I mean, they they were aware that there were some there were a cast of sketchy characters down on uh, you know in downtown yeah. Fall River, right. work doing the sex trade and whatnot. But it, he they weren't aware of that this was a satanic cult out perpetuating these crimes until Andy Maltias walked into the police station and opened it opened it up to them. Exactly. Um, like Doreen, uh, Barbara Raposa's wrists were tied together with fishing line. She had been sexually assaulted, and her skull had been crushed with rocks, just like Doreen. So very similar method of uh, killing this victim in a heinous way, torturing her. Yep. The Levesky case had given police a circle of potential suspects, some of who are already under investigation, and this is where they turned when they found another victim killed in the same fashion who was also connected to this group of people. Right. The first to be interviewed in connection with Raposa's murder was her boyfriend, Andy Maltias, the 
newly found Christian man. Uh-huh. A nervous Maltese denied any knowledge of the crime. However, a few days later, he would contact police after receiving details of the murder in a psychic, in a psychic in dream. a psychic dream. Wow. How Here fitting. This is classic. You did, didn't Bundy do this type of yeah. stuff? It's like, well, theoretically, if I would have done it, I would have done it exactly like yeah. this, and it all matches up to the crime perfectly. Exactly. I saw it in a dream. I was involved, but I, I mean, it wasn't really, but in my dream. Yeah. Yeah. So very specific details. Police played along with uh, and brought Maltese to the crime scene, allowing him to describe what he had seen in his dream. And of course, his dream helped him show exactly where Barbara's body had been discovered in reality, uh, its positioning, its time of death, method of killing, and all the other details that were not made public all matched up to his quote-unquote dream. <laughs> so he was clearly there. And dumb. <laughs> and dumb, yeah. <laughs> if, if not the Why don't Maltese just not go to the police? Like, couldn't he just... I, don't I know. feel like he's scared, just like a few of the other members. Yeah, I guess Anybody so. that wasn't Carl Drew or Robin Murphy was just afraid of those two, and they they were hoping the police could somehow get enough evidence to lock those two up and get them the hell away from them. Yeah, but it's funny that like all the scared people are the ones that are most suspected now. <laughs> all yeah, the scared right. people well, that's are the thing arrested. is that That's the thing is that Robin Murphy and Carl Drew intentionally had these people go along with them and implicated them into the murders, made them directly be involved in the murders intentionally so that they would be afraid to go to the police so that they wouldn't because they were also going to go down. Right, exactly. That was all part of the plan. Yep, that's how you make a pack, a blood pack right there. You involve everybody. Yep. Yep. In, In the days following Andy's arrest, the investigation received further assistance from an unexpected source, Robin Murphy. Ooh. She contacted police and offered to testify against Andy Maltias as a witness to the murder. And this is where I think she realizes that a lot of evidence is being gathered and a lot of people are talking and she's going to go down. Yeah. You know what I think? And so this is her way of jumping, the, getting ahead of it and basically getting a plea deal early on. Yeah. And screwing these other people over, testifying against them. And she's the one who makes out and, you know, gets well, more of a slap on the wrist than the rest. This right here is just more proof that she's cold and calculated because it's funny that right after Andy Maltias is arrested, charged with the murder, and has already given up all this stuff to the police, now Robin wants to come and just throw gas on the Andy Maltias guilty fire and yep. testify against him. It's perfect timing. Yep. It really is. They yep. already think he did it because of all the shit that he knows. He was obviously there. Yep. It's like, why not just throw throw more gasoline on He's the He's going to testify against Robin right. as well as the others. So she mu- and so she's like, no, no, I'll testify against him. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I was there and I'll testify yeah, against I'll him. Yeah, I'll testify against him right now. Like, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, why not? He's yeah. the one that's arrested, right? She's still out. This is the perfect time to yeah. strike, which makes, makes her yeah. look even more guilty in my eyes. Yeah. So Robin also claimed to have been present for the killing of Doreen Levesky and agreed to turn state's evidence in that case as well. In exchange for her cooperation, she brokered a deal where she was placed in protective custody and granted immunity in both murders. Unbelievable. Crazy. She is cold and calculated, and it's working. It man. is. Like, yeah, her, be, her staying quiet through the initial interviews mm-hmm. and staying mysterious, and now she comes in and offers up everything they want. Yep. Um, but, it's, of course, it's her story. You know, it's her story, which a lot of it is is designed to make her look less guilty than the oh, others. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. The story she gave police and later repeated in court was that Andy Maltias had killed Barbara Raposa after discovering she had been cheating on him with another man. Murphy claimed uh, she claimed to have been with them both on the night of the murder. They had all been partying together while driving around the city, and at some point the couple started arguing. Maltias then parked his car behind an abandoned factory, dragged Raposa out, and raped her. 
She cried for help and proceeded to beat he proceeded to beat her with his fists and then with a rock. Afterwards, he drove off with Murphy, leaving his bloodied girlfriend to crawl away on her own. You know, this was Robin Murphy's story right. of how um, Raposa was killed. Yep. But why didn't she go to the police immediately? You know, if that's what happened, why not go to the police exactly. right then? Yeah, she claimed. She claimed when asked that that uh, Maltias had threatened her with the same fate if she talked. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, because sure. Mal- you're so scared of Maltias. Yeah. Come on now, <laughs> I'm sure you're terrified of him. Right. Yeah. It was only after he was behind bars that she claimed to have felt safe enough to come forward with her story. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, she's definitely. But what about trying to bury this? But guy. what about Carl Drew? And his cult of murderous yeah, followers, where does he fit in as far as Robin Murphy's concerned? Those details would come to light during her recounting of the Doreen Levesky murder. So uh, although the forensic uh, evidence was near identical to the Raposa case, according to Robin Murphy, there was no direct connection between the two murders, except for the fact that she happened to be present for both conveniently. Okay. So the murders are both done in a very dramatic, like rare type of method of killing someone, stoning someone to death, yes. stabbing them, tiring their hands with fishing wire. Methods that one take person, time according to well. her, is present for both, and yet she didn't do either of them, and she, and they they were unrelated otherwise. She she happened to be near the area, but not directly there. She was in the car for one, you know. Right. It's like and isn't there so these two men that you were with decided to kill someone in the exact same fashion kill young girls in the exact same fashion, uh-huh. but you didn't have anything to do with it and you were there for both of them and they were not there. The other two, the two men were not there for either, for both crimes, only one each. Yeah. None of that makes sense. Right. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. Also, it's already been proven, well, or at least highly speculated by the uh, autopsy report that the murders were done by more than one person. Remember yeah. we talked about that at the beginning. So the cops are already, yep. they're like, there's no way one person did this. And if they did, it went on for a very long time. You know what I mean? Right. But according to her, there's like they, they, the men would walk off with the girl for a few minutes and come back and she didn't hear anything. And then it was like very just kind of hush hush about it after yeah. that. Whereas this, like you said, would have taken a long time. There would have been screaming. It would oh have been God. a big ordeal. That type of mutilation does not happen in minutes. There's no way. No. No way. No. And it wasn't meant to. That's it was right. Meant for the person to suffer as long as That's possible. Right. That's where you get power from Satan, according to the way they believe. And you're terrifying the rest of the people who are in your cult or in your group at the time. You know what I mean? You're, you're terrifying yep. the yep. shit out of them. Who wants to talk after witnessing that? You know? Yep. So she told police that the killing of Doreen Levesky was an offering to the soul of the soul to Satan, and Carl Drew was behind it. She claimed that the young girl had recently left Carl's group with the intention of working the streets on her own. Yeah, so Doreen was new to the area. She had moved to Fall River mm-hmm. and began to work in the sex trade, and she uh, was not too keen as to being under Carl Drew's umbrella and being a part of that group. And that's why Carl Drew had to get rid of her because he wasn't making money off of her. She was just a threat to his his order, you know. And so she must. He had to have her gone, and why not use her as an example and push his further push his Satanist agenda? That that just goes to show, like Doreen must have been really in demand in that area. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Because why wouldn't he just mm-hmm. be like, well, go on off. If, if, if you're going to die, if you think that she can't do it without you and she can't, you know, do that type of work without you, then just let her go. If you think she's right. going to die, why, why do you have to kill her? Why is it if yeah. she can't have her, nobody can? I feel like there's just something, there's something more here. Either Carl or, and or Robin were in love with Doreen and Doreen wasn't in love with them. 
Or maybe they wanted her to be a deeper part of what they had going on and she wasn't into it. Yep. Or something. Something was just something was special about Doreen that both of them did not like. Yeah. Yeah. So she tried to leave the group. And unfortunately, leaving the group wasn't so easy. According to Robin, Carl tracked down Doreen at a Bedford Street bar and forced her into his car. Robin Murphy, Karen Marsden, and a man named Willie Smith, who was Drew's friend at the time and fellow Satanist, came along for the ride. So you get this group of people and this young girl who tried to leave the group, mm-hmm. and they're not going to let it happen. They, they take her. Um, they tell her that she couldn't afford to work the streets alone and backhanded her across the face, Carl Drew, supposedly. Right. They then pulled behind the high school... Um, and the two men took the girl under some bleaches, bleachers. Of course, Robin Murphy is leaving herself in the car again, not at the scene of, she's in the car near the scene of the crime, but not directly at the scene of the crime. Once again, um, supposedly Murphy and Marsden stayed at the car. According to her initial statement, Murphy heard no screams and claimed to see nothing. After a while, the men returned without Levesky and the four of them drove away. Of course, her story didn't match the horrific crime scene that would have, as we said, taken longer. You would have definitely heard screams. Mm-hmm. Um, and in time, her story would have would evolve uh, to include various gory details, all of which apparently slipped her mind during the initial interview and all of which she could have only known by actually being directly at the scene herself and participating. Right. Um, Robin Murphy wasn't the only cult member talking to the police at this time, though. Since her initial interview, Karen Marsden continued to stay in touch with detectives working the case. She was believed to have been present for both murders, though her retelling of events greatly contradicted Robin Murphy's version. Um, she maintained that Carl Drew was the cult figurehead behind these killings, but she also pointed to Robin Murphy as playing a direct leading role in these crimes. According to Karen, Robin had instructed all of those present to take part in the mutilation of Doreen and Barbara's bodies, likely to keep them quiet by directly involving them in the crimes. Mm. That is a brilliant way to keep control over a group of people, you know. It really is. Get them in on something that they basically can't go to police about because they were directly involved. That's right. By the time of Karen Marsden's final interview with police, she was on the verge of an emotional breakdown. So she keeps talking to the police under the in, in darkness, basically. She's meeting with them and she knows that if she's if if they find out, if Carl Drew, if Robin Murphy find out that she's talking to police, she's done for. And she was convinced that she was going to be their next sacrificial murder. The detective, this still shakes him to this day, because he last spoke with Karen and tried to convince her to go into witness protection. She was so scared, he couldn't believe how scared she was. She refused, and he remembers dropping her off at a church that night and remembering having a bad feeling as he drove away. Mm. And of course, Karen would be reported missing on February 9th, 1980, and she would be the third victim found um, as sacrificial slaying in this cult's um, agenda just, here. Two months later, just goes, a grisly discovery. Go I ahead. was going to say, that just goes to show how much fear Karen had and how much control that these two had over her because they're just two people. It's not like there's any evidence that this is a, a deeper, more elaborate organization or cult that you can't hide from. I feel I feel like it was a few more than two because it was, it was obviously there was the two ringleaders, but okay. then they had... People who were in di- it, it basically had been pulled into this, and they had been a part of these crime scenes. So now those people were willing to do things if if ordered to out of fear. Okay, well let's say let's say there's twenty. I mean, you go into witness protection and you go to like Washington State or California. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, what are those twenty people going to do? How are the hell are they going to find yeah. you? I just I don't understand I this this thinking here. But she was just terrified. That just goes to show how terrified she must have really been of them. 
and she really yeah. thought they had some kind of reach. Yeah. She did. If you're that scared and you're living in a small town, you're, you're that scared of a group of people, just, just get in your car and or get in a car, whatever. I, I don't really, in the 70s, I don't, I'm not a fan of hitchhiking, but this might be one scenario where you take that risk because well, the alternative is worse. Well, just take the detective up on his offer of witness protection just and you don't have leave to pay the for area. nothing. Get the hell yeah, out. Yeah, you don't have to pay for nothing. They're not like Russian spies. They're not going to find you <laughs> that, if you move to another That's what I'm saying. City, like, you know? I understand people who, who you know, wrong the mob. Or, you know, it's a cartel yeah. and they don't want to go into hiding because they're like, what's the point? I get that. But this little small organization of people that don't have any money and living in the... Uneducated shithead Satanists. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, they they need you. this area to operate. They need this area. Right. And they're already under the lens. Like, they're being pressured by police con right now bad. Right. So like, they don't have time to go on a manhunt for you. No. Precisely, man. Precisely. So. <sighs> yeah, so... Unfortunately, um, Karen Marsden would be reported missing, as we said, in February of 1980. And two months later, a grisly discovery was made near the beach town of Westport. While clearing a parcel of land, a man stumbled across the top half of a human skull. Hmm. Police, police arrived on the scene and conducted a more detailed search of the area. They would find car decaying carcasses of three cats, sheep bones, and clumps of human hair. They also found some jewelry, a high-heeled shoe, and pieces from a woman's sweater. So they're finding all kinds of weird stuff, and you would, the animal remains would lead you to believe maybe they found that there were some sacrificial animal things going on right. out there as well. Um, hmm. Three cats? That's kind of odd. Like, to find one cat dead in a rural area, it's like, well, maybe it wandered off, it, got, it starved, it died, or something got it. But, like, three cats, finding those in the same spot seems to be out of the norm. Yeah, they're definitely sacrificing those cats and that sheep. Sheep is a sheep yeah. and goats. They're popular for uh, sacrifices in the Bible as well. Yeah. There, there's a lot of right. symboliz symbolization between behind sheep and goats. So I do believe yeah. that the all of those, all of the everything that was left there was there on purpose. That they were they were performing right. rituals here. So I guess that gives a little more clout to them actually being a pra practiced cult, right? Or practicing cult rather. Oh yeah, there was a lot of. Uh... Uh, there's members that talked about them donning robes and full-on uh, ritualistic nightly nocturnal meetings with you know sacrifices of animals mm -hmm. and whatnot, and obviously people as well at this point. Obviously. Um, so forensics would determine that the skull that was found belonged to Karen Marsden. So her fear was not unfounded by any means. She was she was definitely afraid for a good reason, and she had clearly become the latest victim of this cult. Yeah. Um, soon after, a woman named Maureen Sparta contacted police and named Robin Murphy as Karen's killer. Mm. So this is another person who's involved in this cult. That's another thing. It's like, you, it seemed like you're almost not even sure who all's in, like, it seemed like Carl Drew and Robin Murphy, they had uh, indoctrinated quite a few people in one way or another. They had gotten people involved with them. Yeah. And I think it was, they would, my guess is they would pick people up that they kind of knew and take them to a place and get them involved in some shit that the the person didn't really want to be involved in, and then they were kind of stuck with them at that point. Like shit, they have already have already been involved in some stuff with these people, right? Um. So yeah, for this Marine Sparta, the cult killings, in her opinion, had gone too far. Marine was a former sex worker who lived near Fall River's waterfront. She hosted a number of satanic gatherings in her apartment and acted as something of a den mother figure to the runaways and drug users who had hung out there. She was also one of Robin Murf Murphy's ex-lovers. 
According to her, Robin had admitted to the murder during a phone conversation. Um, mm. Carol Fletcher, a woman who had accompanied uh, Karen Marsden when she took the, the police tour. Remember the, the, one, the girl that had gone with Karen Marsden when she did that tour of the woods? She had also been a part of the cult. Yes. Um, when they came across the green water and, and all yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, the algae water and all that. Yeah, so Carol had accompanied Karen when she had gone, taken the police out to the woods to show them all that had been going on. And now she's contacted police following um, Karen's, you know, her her death and her dis the discovery of her skull. Mm -hmm. um, Carol comes forward and claims that Robin Murphy and Carl Drew were responsible for the murder. So, so many people now are stepping up to the plate. They've... They're scared, but at the same time, they have these people have to be stopped, or else you know they, who knows how far it's going to go. They're, they're worried for their own safety. Um, Drew's friend, Carl Davis, a pimp who operated out of Fall River in nearby Providence, Rhode Island, was also present. Fletcher herself had driven up, driven the group to the scheduled wooded area where the satanic sacrifice took place. So police are getting direct. They're getting people who are involved in the cult, who had been to these meetings. These people are showing police where the meetings took place. There's still stuff left behind at these areas in the woods that, you know, would give some clout to their stories. And following the accus accusations that connected her to Karen Marsden's murder, a warrant was arrested or, or was issued for Robin Murphy's arrest. So there's finally enough. Finally. There's enough people stepping forward with evidence that they decide Robin Murphy is behind this yeah. one. Um, and at that point, Carl Drew was also uh, indicted and placed under arrest. During her interrogation, Robin Murphy broke down and told police everything from her perspective. Of course, it was slanted, you know, in her direction right, as usual. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, you probably can believe she, about half of it, probably. Yeah. She said that Karen Marsden had become too much of a liability. She was a witness to the killing of Doreen Levesky and rumored to have gone to the police. That part was true, for sure. <laughs> well, she um, went to the police with Karen, so... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It shouldn't be a shock. She <laughs> shouted out Carl Drew killed uh Doreen Levesky while supposedly while uh Robin was there in her, you know, present. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Carl Drew uh supposedly had decided her fate as far as uh Karen Marsden. He'd he'd chosen her to die, and with the help of Carl Davis, he, he supposedly forced Murphy to take part in the murder, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Robin was unwilling participant. Right. You know, she just got drug along. She had to be a part of this. Um, and she was chosen to take part in the, the murder as an act of loyalty to the cult. According to her statements, um, Robin was made to drag Marsden from the car and pull out her hair. This this gets real dark, guys, if you're uh, at all sensitive. This was followed by a ritual stoning by Carl Drew, Murphy, Fletcher, and Davis. So you got a group of, what, five people, six people here? Um, Carl Drew then cut off one of Marsden's fingers and broke her neck with his bare hands, allegedly. Jesus. Um, Robin Murphy says that while in a trance-like state and under the direction of Carl Drew, she followed up, followed this up by slitting Marsden's throat with a knife that was handing to, handed to her by Davis. The two men then tore the girl's head off and kicked it around the woods, according to Robin Murphy. God. The frenzied post-mortem defilement would reach its climax as, uh, homage was paid to Satan and Carl carved an X into Mars Marsden's torso and began speaking in tongues, offering her soul to the Dark Lord. Mm. Isn't that isn't it weird how they always they they take stuff from the Bi from the Bible Bible? It's always like the speaking in tongues thing, isn't that? That's, it is. Yeah, that's also that's also a a Christian religious thing. 
There's there's yeah. very there's a lot of sects of the Christian religion still now, a lot of denominations that still speak in tongues to this day. Mm-hmm. They believe that everyone can do it and it's like a, a language that only God can understand. Right. So I guess I guess that Satan can understand it as well. Yeah. Or maybe he's down so, there like, I don't know what that means. That's God, you idiot. God. <sighs> Thanks for the sacrifice, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So Robin's uh, Robin's story would get even sicker. It's almost like she's just trying to shock the police at this point. Yeah. She claims that um, she was made to perform oral sex on the headless cadaver before it was dumped in the woods, doused in gasoline, and burned to ashes. Jeez. So, why would she add that in there, though? That's a crazy lie. If you let, if you add that shit in there, that doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't need to be. Added yeah, that's in. a crazy lie to just add. Like I said, I think she got off on this. At this point, she knows she's going to prison, so she's just trying to be as scary and twisted as possible. Or, yeah, or maybe she's just trying to look like the victim here. She's just like, this is the stuff they made me do. Why would I want to do this on my own accord? That's a good point as well, because she is still trying to downplay her part, her involvement at this point. I mean, obviously, she's there. She's doing these things, but she's trying to make it seem like she had no other choice. The Carl Drew was forcing her that's to do right. these things. That's right. So many many of the bizarre details of the satanic rituals and killings in this case are based on the word, however, of a mentally unstable young woman who was known to manipulate those around her, Robin Murphy. So it, it leads to it leads you to wonder how much of this is Robin Murphy's story, how much of this is is legit. Uh-huh. Um, and also, you know, you have a lot of um, talk now about. Uh, the, the police's the interrogation that they did, the practices they used, um, it came to light that a fair bit of bit of witness tampering, manipulation, and misconduct took place throughout the investigation by the police, including detectives. Uh, these detectives had strong Catholic beliefs, so they they seemed to dive headfirst into the satanic ritualistic parts of this, and they even went to a seance. Right. At, one of the cult members' apartments. Because it's not at one point. It's not really a stretch for them. They believe in this stuff. They believe in this. Oh, they yeah. believe that people can be, you know, people have to be exercised. They believe in the devil very much so. So this is this is not that big of a stretch to them. They they can understand why these people would be possessed to do these types of things. And they not only they understand it, like they're going to pursue that as a as a legit a legit uh, lead. Yeah. And and at the same time, um, you know, you had Carl Drew in police custody telling them that he worships Satan. Yeah. He said, I worship him like you worship God. And so that just kind of justifies everything that they were doing. So, but at the same time, Carl Drew never admitted to taking a part in these, in these murders. He always maintained his innocence to this day, maintains his innocence. And there's actually a faction of people who believe he's innocent and that he was, he was just, uh, basically framed by Robin Murphy. Wow. It does make the story a little more interesting that a 17-year-old girl was leading all of this. It does make it very interesting. So I can see why oh, so many people right. would buy into that. Yeah. So as expected, the court trials of Andy Maltias, Carl Drew, Robin Murphy, and Carl Davis were a media circus. Headlines of satanic rights, uh, sexual torture, and cult murder... Many believe that these four individuals were only the tip of the iceberg and a dangerous cult was still active in the area. So this opened up Pandora's box yeah. when it comes to the hysteria in the town and the media. Anything that happened was automatically attributed. This is the satanic panic area right. era, 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 and it wasn't just in Massachusetts that this was going on. 
You know, oh, God, we've, no. we've studied the West Memphis Three. Yeah. Um, so we know. The, and there's there's many other examples of people getting lambasted because of the satanic panic era. Absolutely. Um, Andy, Andy Maltias was the first to stand trial in January of 1981. Much of the case against him was based on the witness testimony of Robin Murphy. He was convicted uh, in the first-degree murder of Barbara Raposa and given a life sentence without the possibility of patro- patro- uh, parole and would end up dying of cancer in 1998. Hmm. So Damn. he got convicted of the murder of his girlfriend, who he was the one who went into the police station and had uh, reported missing, right. and he ends up getting convicted for her yeah, murder. Yeah, I think he killed her. At the very least, he, he was, was there and played a role yeah. in it. He was there and allowed it to happen, If at the yeah. very, very, very least. Yeah. With local media revealing details of the Fall River cult murders, Robin Murphy, Carl Drew, and Carl Davis's trials had to be moved to another county, um, and their trials would take place in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Uh, Robin Murphy's lawyer convinced the court that his young client had been under the powerful influence of the satanic cult at the time um, of Karen Marsden's murder, allowing her to plead to the lesser charge of second-degree murder in exchange for her testimony against her co-defendants, which, mm. man, this was a, a big injustice done. Because yes. Robin Murphy, at this point, I think we can say, was more than a, just an unwilling bystander here. You know, she's, that is what I, that's what I feel as well, but you'd be surprised, man, studying this case, how many people don't feel that way. We're, we're probably going to catch some hate about this case. In regards to Robin yes. Murphy? Yeah, oh, we gonna catch. See, I saw it the other way. The more, everything I read was like Robin Murphy was the, was the devil here, and, and Carl Drew got screwed. That's what I, that, I I saw that all over the place online. But you, you saw the opposite. I, you saw Robin Murphy. I did was a few Carl times. Drew was yeah, the, a few times. And um, I listened to a, a, a another podcast, a, a pretty well done podcast as well. I don't want to. I'm not trying to belittle them or in any way or whatsoever. But they they totally believe that Robin Murphy like was used and played no role in this. And they made some great points. They really did. Made some excellent points. Um, but I I don't know. I don't believe that. I feel like she she did know what was going on and she maybe even enjoyed it. She enjoyed the power, enjoyed being part of this and manipulating these people. And I believe I base that a lot on her first interactions with the police. She was not nervous. She was she was cold calculated, quiet, um, didn't give yep. up any information unless it was the right time. Somebody like that is is like a sociopath. She doesn't understand yeah. that that she could be going down. And she's has the ability, remember, she is a 17-year-old girl. She has the ability to throw on that charm, I'm sure. And and in the innocent routine. In the innocent routine, that's right. And completely get out of things. Absolutely. The way I see it, and I mean, this is just my theory. I could be totally wrong, but I have this feeling that Carl Drew found Robin Murphy. You know, he was he was a pimp working this working this downtown area. Yeah. He comes across Carl uh, Robin Murphy, and his his tactic, Carl Drew, and his motivation. I think we agree was was financial, and like he also got off on, you know, being being the ringleader uh, of a, you know a group of women and whatnot, and he liked the power that went along with that. And I think he he got this a part of what he did was like convince these young girls that he was scary and that he, you know, he was, he was a Satanist. And if you didn't do what he wanted, he, he would do these things. And I think it was more for show than anything, mm-hmm. but then Robin Murphy came into the fold and she was like, Oh yeah. And she like one upped him. Cause I think she was already studying the occult and she was, 
you know, she was damaged from her, you know, being molested yes. and all this, these other things that had happened to no her. Doubt. She's already on the streets working as a sex worker at 17 years old. And she was legit. And Carl, Carl Drew was, she kind of went along with it. And the next thing you know, Carl Drew was like, holy shit, like she actually is doing the things. He's like, I got to step my game up. And I was threatening. And like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. He, he awakened a monster almost. It seems like. Yeah. That's my theory. Okay. That's that. Yeah. That's not a bad theory. But I think they were both they're both ringleaders of this this cult that was killing people in heinous ways and I think they're both terrible. Well, you know, but we've I, done I, a lot of cases, man, where people were fine on their own and then when these two people met up, yeah. it just became toxic and they just fueled each mm -hmm. other's fire and having that other person back them up in their beliefs and um and in their cruelty and the things that they they want to do, that's all they need. That's that's all the confidence they need to put these thoughts and these these ideas into action. And you, you, yeah. that's that's a great that's a great theory. It is. So uh, as we mentioned, their trials would be moved. Robin would end up getting the lesser charge of second degree murder in exchange for her testimony against the co-defendants. Additionally, the immunity deal she struck up with the DA's office held up, and she received no additional charges in connection with the Levesky or Raposa murders. Wow! So she got second degree murder for Karen Marsden. Yeah. Um, with whom she had gone into the police station initially with, and then she she took place in killing. Um, but yet the other two murders, she got complete immunity on. Wow. Unbelievable deal she struck up with the DA. Unbelievable deal. She jumped, like we said, she got ahead of things. She knew where it was headed. She was very cold and calculated. Yep. She saw that they were all going down and she tried to get ahead of it and she did. Yep. And she took down the others and she, I wouldn't say a slap on the wrist because, you know, second degree murder is not a slap on the wrist, but for what she did, it is. Yeah. Like what she took for not part being in. not put to death. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so she would end up receiving a life sentence with the possibility of parole. The fact that she even had the possibility of getting parole was pretty crazy. And after spending 24 years behind bars, she actually was released uh, on June 10th, 2004. Um, I'm sure people were a little whiffed. I know that the, miffed, the, the a lot of the detectives, that's where I lean to. It's like the detectives were 100% in the court that Robin Murphy was the, the, was the main person here committing these, like... She was the ring, real ringleader, yeah. in, in their opinion. And they were freaked out when she got out. However, she luckily violated her parole conditions uh, when she was driving around with a woman who had drugs on her, and she was uh, returned to prison seven years later. Yeah, yeah I um, think someone she was riding with had heroin, or there was heroin in the car that she was riding yeah. in, and they took her down for that. Yeah, Seven years later? <sighs> so, yeah, she was out free for seven years. God, and she didn't do anything? Like, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of harsh. If she lived seven years, it's like... She had some strict parole conditions, apparently. Yeah, well, as they should be. Just being in the car with someone else who had drugs seven years after you released and you go back to prison and she hasn't gotten out since. Mm. She keeps going, uh, getting put up for you know for potential parole and then they, they deny her. Talk about um, kicking her yourself next for a decision. In 2022. Oh my God, can you imagine? It's like, oh, we right. would have just fucking took this road instead of this road we wouldn't have got pulled yeah. over and i wouldn't be in prison for the rest of my fucking life oh yeah. god that will eat at you also if you wouldn't have taken part in brutally killing all oh, that too either. but what's done is done you know, Lauren. come on let's not let's not uh, forget about what's that done part. is done I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh so carl davis who you know obviously was there for these crimes as well uh the case against him kind of fell apart he never stood trial for his alleged role in the karen marsden murder uh, however, following the following year, he was arrested for assaulting Maureen Sparta. Remember, the Maureen Sparta was the woman who accompanied yes. Karen Marsden to show police what all was going on and everything. And she stepped up to the plate to help bring down the, the other members of the cult. 
Um, she seems like he, the only person in this story with somewhat of a heart, uh, Marine Sparta, yeah. because she was the one, if you don't remember, she was the one that created like the safe house for these girls. When they had nowhere else to go, yes. they could go and stay with Marine. And she kind of was like yeah. a mother figure to a lot of these girls. So yeah. So Carl got away, essentially. Mm-hmm. Didn't get didn't get brought down for the murders. Uh, so what does he do? He goes and almost kills Marine Sparta. Wow. With it, you know, it beats her while she was pregnant, almost to death, and he would get sentenced to seven years in prison uh, for that, and he is now free again. Carl Drew um, would go down as the the main ringleader of the Fall River Cults on paper. Um, Robin Murphy's testimony painted him as a violent, sadistic killer who acted out as the ringleader in these horrific murders. His picture, it's pretty. I mean, he he's got a. He looks like a somebody that could run a satanic cult as well. Yeah, yeah, he does. Him and Robin Murphy, their 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 pictures fit the. <laughs> it's obviously, I can't argue with that. I, yeah, can't read a book by its cover, but also we've read the inside of the book as well a little bit. And, <laughs> Actually, uh, we've already read the book, and uh, their the picture cover matches. fits. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah. Uh. Testimony from his ex girlfriend as well didn't help. A woman named Leah Johnson testified that he told her that he had killed a girl along with Davis Murphy and another woman while high on drugs. Uh, he also alleged, allegedly gave Leah a diamond ring that had belonged to Karen Marsden. Mm. So some stuff doesn't look good on him there. Yeah. Despite his unwavering claims of innocence, Drew was convicted in first-degree murder of Karen Marsden and is serving a life sentence at the MCI in Shirley, Massachusetts with no possibility of parole. He's filed numerous appeals over the years seeking a new trial, and his most recent and final was denied in 2006. Yeah, he ain't getting out. He and Carl Drew, uh, as I mentioned, has had supporters over the years, and they've even petitioned the Massachusetts governor to review his case. Um, and I think he does like a blog or something online. He's written stuff about his innocence. Hmm. Um, and what's sad is that the the case involving Doreen Levesky's murder never went to trial. She never got her, you know her family never got uh closure or justice as far as no one none of these people were ever convicted of killing Doreen Levesky and the district attorney claimed it was just not worth it it would be costly and the best case scenario would basically result in another life sentence for Carl Drew who's not getting out anyway right. so it's What's assumed that Carl Drew and or others participated in Doreen Levesky's murder so there's there's no mystery there it's just uh, you know on paper her her crime is technically, I guess, unsolved, unsolved as far as no one was ever convicted of her murder. Right. Um, all charges against uh, Carl Drew and Willie Smith, the man who supposedly assisted him in the night of the killing, were quietly dropped uh, in regards to Doreen Levesky. Mm. That's crazy. So. That's terrible for the um, family, but I do understand it as far as the legal system. Like, this guy's not getting out. He's, he's in prison forever. And, you know, they're not going to give him are not going to give him the death penalty when he didn't do it alone. You know what I mean? Yep. I just don't think they're going to do that. So yep. nothing's going to happen. He's just going to spend, they're, they're just going to drag it out through court, spend more time transporting him to and from, possibility of escape and all this shit, and then, yeah, it's not worth it. Yep. Mm. Yeah, so there's been talks back and forth over the years between Carl Drew and Robin Murphy. They both continued to switch their stories up, pointing blame at each other. Um, and it, as far as the detectives, Paul Carey, a detective from the Fall River Major Crimes Division who worked the case, has his own theory. He says, quote, I still believe that uh, that Robin Murphy was the real ringleader, not Carl Drew, that Levesky was murdered because Murphy was also in love with her and became jealous when Levesky started seeing Drew. Mm. To this day, I'm still not satisfied that Drew was present at any of the murders. 
I thought it was a bad move to grant Murphy immunity. I still believe that she was the ringleader behind all of these slayings. Mm. So that's someone directly involved that, you know, was the investigator. Right. There must be something to uh, convince him. And he talked to these people face to face. Mm -hmm. So that has, that has a lot of weight to me. And Carl Drew still denies being involved in any such group. He says, quote, I was thrown in the middle of a mass nightmare that involved macabre accusations of devil worship and human sacrifice. And uh, that was in an autobi- autobiographical, autobiographical, without autobiographical. Fuck, how do you say that word? There you go. <laughs> autobiographical, sorry. Some words just make my I, mind, <laughs> they, my brain just scrambles. Right. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Close like, enough. <laughs> autobiographical. There yeah. we go. It's too many syllables for my right, brain. That is a lot. Um, totally off the wall accusations that were right out of some thriller novel. None true as far as I was involved and nothing like what was being said. Carl Drew claims. Mm -hmm. And he remains in prison after his motion for a new trial was denied in 2005. Robin Murphy, having been caught in repeated lies over the years, was denied parole yet again in 2017, and her next parole hearing will be in 2022. So for now, Carl Drew and Robin Murphy remain in prison. Carl Drew, likely to never get out. Robin Murphy, we'll see. Um, But she's lied to the parole board on on several occasions now. They've caught her in lies just in their hearings alone. Oh, it's been bad. And yeah. so they're just like, you know what? Uh, yeah, you can stay behind bars because we don't believe anything you say at this point. Yep, and that's that's what's really killing her. She's been been caught in so many lies. That there's there, yeah, there's nothing she can say to get out. Nothing yep. she could say. And it's hard to forget, you know, what she was a part of back in you know 1979. Yeah. these people that keep coming in for her parole hearings. It's you know character witnesses, people who were involved, people who knew mm-hmm. her family to, like, members. Keep her locked up. Yeah, nobody <laughs> is in her favor. Nobody is in her yeah. favor except for her defense attorney, and she's paid to be. So, right. Yeah, it don't look good, man. I just, I mean, like. If your own family and friends and stuff don't want you out, then I don't think you need to come out. I, I think you could. Right. You need to hang in there. So. All right. All right. So that's some cult shit for you to start off 2021. How about yeah. that? Another good way to start off 2021 is to get you some new deodorant. Smelling good in your pits. That's right. Smell good in your pits, guys, with some Oh My Gaia. Oh My God. Oh My God. Oh My Gaia. Uh, oh My Gaia. <laughs> oh My Gaia. I can't say it. Uh, but it's an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from today. I'm rocking one of my favorites, Egyptian Musk. I think I smell great here in the studio. But if that's not for you, there's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, bergamot amber, pear. Um, We have our very own scent called True Crime Pine uh, that's available for everyone, and it's a special edition. It's kind of a sweet cinnamon pine smell that is unisex. Anybody can wear this and smell great. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper. C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order. And that's at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A dot com. Guys, you won't regret it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Let's see. The last episode we did was... The last Freeloader episode we recorded on the 27th, so I'm just looking for reviews. Got some new reviews this week, right? Can't wait to get some new reviews because we had Patreon last week. 
Um, if you guys missed that, if you're not signed up for Patreon, patreon.com slash guys. You guys can get access to our uh, once-a-month exclusive episode that we release on Patreon, uh, which was last week, obviously, and we'll do one every month. So you get that as well as access to Just the Banter on every Friday. So and that's at the $5 tier. And if you guys want to talk to us and see our ugly mugs for some reason, you can donate $10 a month. And at that level, we will set up a Zoom call with you if you so please. So if you are a $10 patron at the moment and you guys want to have a Zoom call, hit us up. We will work out the dates. Um, we don't really want to do more than two or three people at a time because that's a that's a mess. That Zoom call with the delay and all that stuff. So we want to make sure that you guys get to say what you want to say and we get an opportunity to talk to you. So patreon.com slash true crime guys. All right. Do it. You got some reviews? Yeah, I, I want to say thanks to Alexa FB in the U.S. Said, love them, five stars. Uh, started binge listening about two weeks ago and have gone about two years in. So, Oh, damn. She's uh, dedicated there. Oh, yeah, two years and two Thank weeks. Thank you, Alexa. Wow. Oh, yeah. Then we got uh, Krizzy, Krizzy in the U.S. Uh, five stars, fire emojis, uh, Xmas fires, and happy new pods. Stay creeping. <laughs> uh, Always. This has been my favorite pod since they were LV based. Holy crap! Wow, going way back. Way back. Just now, rate. Just now, rating in review. Come ah, on. That's uh, probably send another one. Sometimes people do multiple no. reviews. Hey, whenever you do it, however you do it, we appreciate that's it. Right. Uh, Whitney Maxfield in the U.S. said, "Great show, fun listen, five stars. Right Thank you." Uh, then we got Kadem Nine in the U.S. said, "Late to the party, five stars. How in the world did I just find you guys? All right, better late than never." Hey, like I said. However you find us, whenever you find us, we love yep. it. Uh, then we got Libra Baby 777 in the U.S. U.S. is strong this time. Oh, yeah. Where's the, where's the rest of the world? Come, Come on, on, guys. I uh, said, keep it up, guys. Five stars. Thank you. Uh-huh. Then we got Danita Key in the U.S. Said, love it. Loving the podcast. Great job, guys. Five stars. Thank you. Then we got Mommy2DC in the U.S. Said, amazing podcast. Happened upon it about a week ago. Never heard of Never had even listened to a single podcast before. And fell in love with Michael and Lauren. Wow. Never listened. We're the first podcast you've oh, ever listened no, to? We just ruined your podcast taste. I'm so sorry. That's setting the bar low yeah. for podcasts. No, there's so many things out there you could hear and love. I'm so sorry right. that we said it like this, but it's already set now. So you might That'll just make it. every the, the ones that are better, you just be like, oh, damn, it even gets better. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then we got Snoopy Noodle in the U.S. at Spot On, five stars. Love listening to these guys. Great crime lines, great banter, and amazing interactions on Patreon. Right on. Thanks. Right on, Snoopy thanks Noodle. For, thanks for taking the time to notice that. We do, we do give right. a little extra attention to our patrons. We do. That's right. And then one final one, all U.S. this time. We got Ken Miller 4 in the U.S. said, so glad I found, found this podcast. Five stars. Absolutely love it. These guys are such a good duo and tell stories. Tell the stories well, creative intros, and genuine banter to start the episodes. Always crack me up. Highly recommend. Five stars. Thank you. <laughs> right on. All right. Thank you guys so much for those reviews. Great way to help the show, guys. Go leave a review. If you haven't Absolutely. yet, if you've been listening for like three years, four years, go leave a review. You know? Come on. Yep. And check out Patreon. You can actually, I don't know if you mentioned it, but you can pay for a year. Yeah. 21 bucks and you're done. And you don't have to worry about your, your, hard, your card getting hit monthly yeah. for a fee or anything. So. That's right. You just got those stimulus checks, 21 bucks, and you can have a yep. 
Patreon prescription sub- subscription, not a prescription. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, for some people, hey, it's a prescription. People, it's you know, prescription. if you're a little sad that day, we'll cheer Listen, you up. Whatever you use as meds is up to you. But uh, right. but you can have a Patreon subscription for just twenty one bucks. Not have to worry about that monthly fee. You know what I'm saying? That that shit gets annoying because I'm sure every, yep. everyone now, man. I mean, how many monthly streaming services do you have that you subscribe to? Yeah, I, I, I probably got like eight. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'd say at least it's that. It's ridiculous. So it's yeah. nice to get some of that shit up front. So Patreon allows us to do that. Um, I'm not sure if you can do that on on all Patreon on all uh, Patreon sites right now. Um, I think it's still kind of in the test. We, we got grandfathered in. We've been doing Patreon for a That's few right. years. So. Yeah, we kind of got grandfathered in. We kind of we get to be the guinea pigs for a lot of stuff on Patreon, which is cool. It's cool. We get to yep. we get to be on the on the uh, curb. But uh, yeah, yep. it's Patreon.com/slash/TrueCrimeGuys. Also, guys, go check out our merch. TrueCrimeGuys.threadless.com. We have new merch designs on there, as well as Redbubble.com. Search True Crime Guys. Go to our portfolio, or you can go to KinCustom.com. K-I-N Custom.com, and search True Crime Guys on there as well. All of these links are below the description um, of this very episode, as well as links to Patreon and any sponsors or ads that you hear in the episode, there will always be links below. So you guys don't have to go far. And we attach our sources. Yes. Um, in this case, I relied heavily on a fantastic, um, article actually. Oh, very in-depth. Shout out to, yeah, that's where we got most of our information actually was a civilnation.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, civiltnation.com, cvltnation.com, had an article called Sex, Satanism, and Sacrificial Slaughter, the Fall River Cult Murders, 1979 to 1980. Fantastic. Freaking, this article was almost as long as the book. <laughs> it was. And uh, told the whole story. Yeah. So if you want to get pictures and you want to go read it yourself, um, check it out. But it'll be linked in, as well. Right. We, we attach our sources. So, Not a whole. Yeah, we relied on that one and as well as some other. Yeah. Uh, articles and whatnot. Not a whole lot of YouTube videos or podcasts no. on this topic. No, um, it's this this one kind of flies under the radar for something that meets all the stuff. That it meets all the requirements of stuff people love to hear about. I would think you know? so. I would think so. But uh, yeah, so that's that case. Uh, what else we got? What else we got? We got our other show, Strange and Unexplained. Guys, if you're all caught up on true crime, guys, and you just love things that are put out by True Crime Guys Productions, we have a whole nother show for you called Strange and Unexplained, where we dive into unsolved missing persons cases, strange phenomena uh, like Skinwalker Ranch or the Zone of Silence in Mexico. Um, but a lot of things like that. But a lot of the cases are unsolved. So, And it's a little more serious take. It's a little, it's a more serious narration throughout some of it. But, you know, there's still some tongue-in-cheek humor in there. You know, we still got to be us. And of course, Lauren plays his role as the Lauren Synopsis. So you're getting you're getting two different perspectives on every single case that we do. Me and Lauren, we don't study together. We don't talk about it. He studies the case. He records a segment for the show. I give you the facts, and then I give my opinion at the end. And then you get to hear Lauren's opinion, and we compare. We have we have a lot of we have a lot of fun on that show. But that's strange and unexplained, guys. And you'll see on the logo it says True Crime Guys presents. It's two Velociraptors. If you just search True Crime Guys in your uh, podcast player. It should pull up no problem. There you go. Right. So much entertainment for you. So much, guys. More more, and more entertainment coming in 2021. So hold on to your horses. All right. Does that do it? I think that's it, man. Okay, guys. See you next week. Keep creeping. Yep. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage.
Nah, we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. Talk, gotcha. I'm talking to the creeper army, we out here making murder charming.